Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to teen entertainment from the 80s and beyond. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host, Mindy, is on the other side, and holy fuck, I got it right for once. Good job. Oh my god. I wasn't, wasn't going to mail about it. Go right ahead. <laughs> People who don't listen on a regular basis. Uh, I fucked up like five episodes in a row with the intro. I never cut it it's- out. I like the rawness of how we have our conversations. Unless something really bad happens, I'll take that out. But normally, I just let it go. It's cool, man. Nobody's perfect. All right. So, uh, not really a full-fledged episode, more of a mini-sode. But um, when we say that, sometimes we long anyway. But uh, we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Popcorn and the original Stepfather. And uh, I know... Everybody thought I lost my mind by not combining this with matinee, but I plan on next Halloween being the matinee Hocus Pocus special. And maybe throw an Eerie Indiana because... What's the kid's name again that stars in all those? Omri Katz. Omri Katz. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to do a whole episode about him because he was a really good actor and didn't act for very long. Um, but this one is kind of devoted to uh, apparently our mother's favorite new actress, Jill Sholin. Um, we watched Cutting Class... Uh, stepfather popcorn and when a stranger calls back and now she this girl's amazing uh i haven't i guess i better when a stranger calls back oh okay so we've seen we've seen the remake i've seen all three of them so there's uh, 1979 um carol kane it's her first starring role and it's uh, fixable for sure because uh, the first 20 minutes is her story. Then they have this huge, clearly filler story in the middle. And then it fast forwards mm-hmm. like 10 years later and she has to deal with the killer again. So and, uh, then there's the remake, which we watched with Camilla Bell. And it's and- all that opening sequence. And the movie's fine, except she clearly is on no <laughs> or Botox face. I don't know what's going yeah. on. Um, yeah, it's, it says that when a stranger calls back is free on IMDb. Yeah, it's it it's was uh it was a mo- okay. it was made for Showtime. Um, but I saw it on USA because Universal paid for it. And what it was is Showtime gave us some upfront money to be a cable movie for a few years, and then it played constantly like at USA up all night. It's it has the scariest opening, and nothing ever tops it because Jill Sholin's performance was so fucking strong. And for whatever reason, she walked away. I don't know if she decided to become a parent or she got tired of being a genre yeah. over and over. And I, I believe that she was on a show called Helltown with Robert Blake. Um, uh, I think an arc on Happy Days. And she was in a couple smaller independent films before she got cast. It's basically the lead of Stepfather. It, it's kind of a balance between her and Terry O'Quinn. Uh, Shelley yes. Hack just a little bit. And it just kickstarted her career. Problem is... Almost everything she did was independent, low-budget horror fair. She did a few others that weren't, um, like Rich Girl, which is how my mother, our mother, discovered her in the first place. Uh, Rich Girl was uh, from the company that did Popcorn, and they only ever did two movies. So I don't know where I'm going with this. But let's talk about the Stepfather movie, the original. Now, have you seen any of the sequels or the remake? Okay. Um, is this the first time you've ever seen this film? I might have seen it once more, but I can't say for If I have, it's been so long, I didn't really remember. Yeah. Um, it is uh, from an independent company called ITC. Most people know that from the logo they had before the Muppet movies. They funded the first, I think, two. And that's where they made their bones and sadly blew through all their money. So by 87, they're on the verge of bankruptcy. Tight little thrillers and comedies and stepfather made uh very little money it cost a million it made like four and a half but it blew up on video so therefore that's why you have but 
I, and I, I truly believe this had to have been where Terry O'Quinn really got noticed because if you look at his IMDb after this, he really builds it up fast with lots of character roles. Never really any leads again outside of Stepfather 2, but, you know, he was always one of those go-to guys for, like, military experts or the scientists, you know, or the next-door neighbor who's not right, and you know, <laughs> but most people know him now for Lost. Yeah, I don't think, um, yeah, I, I don't. I didn't know. I mean, I definitely, I mean, looking back at this, I was like, Terry O'Quinn. But uh, you know how there's just so many actors that you're like, for some reason, that's their big break. And you didn't think they did anything before. And then you're like, oh, well, God, there was such stuff. I, I didn't realize I watched uh, like Rocketeer, the Rocketeer recently. Oh, right, and I yeah. was like, well, well, geez, you know, he has forever. So. Well, he's the sheriff right before this in Silver Bullet. For real? Yeah, he's uh, he's got a mustache, and you can't really tell he's bald because he's wearing the hat the whole time. But yeah, he's part of the, the team that goes out to try to stop the werewolf out in the woods and he's demolished. Huh. Okay. Well, see, he's been doing everything forever. Uh, and it just takes, sometimes it just takes one thing to to make everybody else notice, you know? Yeah. So interesting. The, uh, the director of this is uh, Joseph Rubin, who had just come off of Dreamscape. This is right before, I believe, he does... Uh, shit, what's that? The Sleep with the Enemy. Um, oh, okay. And I think he had also... Uh, so it has some pedigree behind it, this flimsy throwaway slasher film. And I think a big part of it is because the director is more sensitive to how to film something too grotesque and base it oh, on the characters. He, he did a good son also. He did a bit of, like, mind fuckery. Yeah, he's good with the thrillers. He did apparently also direct Gorp, though, and you told me that was garbage. Go so. Gorp? Well, that's also, I think, his first film, but that's also how he got Dreamscape is because he has Quaid so well. And That was his fifth, fifth? fifth well, film. Well, fuck me in the year with a rubber deer. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I, well, that's what IMDb is for. He also directed Money Train, so I don't know. Okay, so there's some good and some bad. What do we do for a living? Well, you do good things. I do dumb things. Um, so I'm not I gonna do great things. But you know what? Every <laughs> Everybody to the world in one way or another. <laughs> and frankly, I know people who love money from that. <laughs> um, Whatever, man. But I'll say this. Uh, also, Donald Westlake is one of the creators of this and yeah. like one of the kings of pulp crime novels. Uh, Brian That's Garfield. That's what I thought. Yeah, Brian Garfield is the guy who created uh, Death Wish. Um, I can give oh, or take some of his stuff. But uh, Donald Westlake did the, the story, but he also did. And I think Parker is one of his greatest creations that constantly gets fucked up. <laughs> if you ever watch those yeah, movies. Yeah, he really did a lot. Payback. Uh, yeah, there's quite a lot yeah. here. Uh, the Parker character. Just real, wow. The, the Parker character has been done in Point Blank with Lee Marvin. Slay Ground with Peter Coyote. There's some 70s one I can't think of. The Hot Rock, I think, with Robert Redford. Uh, Payback with Mel Gibson. And then, of course, Parker with... Uh, but the meat of the movie, though, it really relies on the cast. And the deft direction. Because, like I said, this is a very low-budget... And I just think that they do the slow burn with Terry O'Quinn. And her discovery and trying to balance out and trying to get people to believe her is such a you're with her the way and you're terrified man he is like a total psycho like it's really impressive um you know his transformations his like weird behavior my favorite part though i think when he was starting to he was like uh who am i supposed to be right now yeah. like he, he, he actually says that out loud yeah he's, i like think he says who second. am i here is what he says um yeah, but it, it's this guy who apparently in his head, he has an idea of the perfect 
family. I don't know if it's from, they never really comment too much on it. I don't know if it's from sitcoms or if his home life as a child was a fucking nightmare. Wait, they do comment on it. I feel like yeah, they... I think, I think I read that there was a, like a little bit more backstory about his childhood that was supposed to be um, in the story and it like got cut out or something that uh, would give a little bit more credence, you know, his behavior. But... Yeah. It's his search for the perfect family, the perfect the perfect job, the perfect house, and the fact that he cannot get perfect in any way whatsoever. He's not even willing to really work for what it. it's like it needs to be instant for, and that's what causes him to basically in his path. And whenever he realizes that it's not gonna happen, kills the family and then moves on to the next family and not realizing that he's the problem. Well, that's I mean, that's the breakdown of that description is repeating the same thing about changing uh, is insanity. There you go. But um, I don't know. I think with a different actor, I think yes, because there is a balance here where he could have gone. He's he's big, but he doesn't go too big. And um, that he's just this normal everyday. You know, we're in an age right now, or we're in an age when it was filmed and is all the big moms, you know, Freddy, Jason, Michael. You know, huge special effects. And a lot of them were either wisecracking, you know, guys like you know Chucky and Freddy, or they were dead silent. And so this is wildly. But I think that this, in a lot of ways, is more effective and much more, to me, much scarier because this is real. Like this could totally happen. Well, and I think it does. It, yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't this based somewhat on something that really happened? It says loosely based on the story of John List. New Jersey man who killed his family in 1971 was was on the run until 1989. He was profiled on America's Most Wanted. Oh my God! So he was probably watching the stuff up and going, "This seems oddly." F Ooh, uh, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> it says it resulted America's Most Wanted. It resulted in his capture. Nice. So yes, it sounds like it definitely. Interestingly, though, it also says. Donald Westlake based the character of Stephanie on his real-life teenage daughter, who he was having difficulty getting along with. Wow. I wonder how she feels about that. Yeah, that's that. some weird, cathartic, working some shit out kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe. The uh, and, and I think all of us have that, that thing. I mean, we haven't experienced it ourselves, but we've had enough friends whose parents have gotten divorced and uh, gotten married or just started dating somebody else whose qu uh, behavior is severely questioned and yeah. not really being able to do anything about it. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that. It can just be a friend who has a girlfriend or boyfriend and you see the stuff, but they don't see the stuff and you you try to convince them of it. And like, you're just trying to break us up or whatever and that you're the problem and that you're cut off. Yeah, this, uh, my mother-in-law, every boyfriend she had that I've met. Like instant alarms go off. So I think, I think that's why <laughs> this is more relatable. And I think this is why it did so well on video is because it didn't have the big celebration. You know, it's low budgets from a very independent company, so they don't have the kind of money to notice it. It's more of a word of mouth kind of video. Yeah, but also, like you said, it doesn't have to have like big monster selling points. Like it, there's actually like good actors. Yeah. And well, they they sell the story. That helps. Uh, good acting makes up for lack of story. True. Sometimes. But like it wasn't as bad then as it is now, where it seems like every movie has to be an event to get you out of your house, especially yeah, with streaming. Uh -huh. You know, back then, all we had was a subpar VHS or TV editing it up. And um, so the theater was still, like, 
You remember how movies used to slowly come out? Instead of a thousand, two thousands, it was like, oh, this is outlined on 500, and it would slowly build over on two. That seems like what should have happened. Man, I kind of miss having low expectations with my entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just. You know, it was a good time when you would find just like hidden treasures all the time because you watch every single thing at the video store eventually. Oh, yeah. I do miss going to the store and perusing the shelves and reading the back cover. You know, of course, the initial cover gets your attention, but it's the back cover with, ooh, what are those photos? That looks kind of bloody. You know, you know, those look like some special effects that might interest me in and stuff like that. Like, all right, that sounds like something I'd watch. Um, so I will say this. Uh, you've seen the ending, obviously. Should be dead. They make no real explanation. Uh, sure looks like it's in his heart. <laughs> it doesn't even take a couple of rounds in the back. I feel like he... Not, the gun jams or something like that. But I thought they were going to say, oh, he had some sort of thing, you know, pacemaker blocking it or whatever. But no, in the sequel, he's in a mental hospital and they're trying to read. And he thinks, <laughs> and he just gets out and tries to get married again. It has uh, Jonathan Brandis and uh, Meg Foster. I was going to do that. But then I looked, bro, Jonathan Brandis is like, so I, I don't think it counts as. Yeah, um, the only thing that I, like, the only real issue that I have with the movie, like, I think it's pretty solid. Again, you know, the acting's good, whatever. But I don't understand the guy that's, like, hunting for him. You know? Like, who is that guy and what's their relationship? They never really oh, talk no, about no. it. Oh, no, no. And then... He's the brother of his previous wife that he murdered. Oh. Oh, I... Okay, somehow I just didn't quite get who he was. And I felt like it was sort of, like, uh, confusing. Like, didn't have quite the follow-through. That okay, was... thank you for... Yeah, it's it's he's been on vacation. His job takes him all over the world, and he was gone for so long. He knew who he was, but he didn't know much about him. And then he finds out his family is killed, and that guy disappears. So he's trying to track him down. And then you think that there's going to be this big showdown. You really do. They keep, uh, you know, like, yeah. oh, he gets a gun like that. And before he can even get the gun out, he freezes, and he just gets gutted. And it's just, like, done over. That, that's such a Yeah, it seems a little bit uh, like a inter weird uh, decision there. But, okay. Yeah, uh, there's a three. Terry O'Quinn by then was like, no more of this crap. Um, and some other guy. The three is really fucking bad. And the remake has um, John John Walsh from Nip Tuck. I can't remember his name. Something. Some, Dylan no, Walsh. Dylan Walsh. Dylan Walsh. And uh, that guy's on you. Yeah, I think he was on Gossip. I can't uh, remember. Yeah, his name is... It's Penn Badgley. Movie. It's Penn Badgley. And yeah, the only movie I like him in is... Uh, what's he... Uh, the one with uh, the, the Scarlet Letter one. Scarlet Letter. Oh, Easy A. Easy A. Yeah. Um, I actually quite enjoyed Stepfather. I was surprised they changed the dynamic in that one where it's more about alpha oh, dogs. Oh, so you you watched you watched the remake? Yeah, I watched it, and that's what led me to go back to the the original. And what okay. I like about it is it's about a, a man. You know, Penn Badgley is almost a man. He's like eighteen or whatever, and he's kind of been gearing the family. Uh, and and it's, you know, Dylan Walsh is the new dad, and it's more of a dynamic of who's the alpha dog and constantly mm. like pissing on each other. And I kind of like oh, that. Where okay. whereas um, you know, Jill Sholin's character is more of a victim. You know, very sad and very lost, and that that's a totally different feel. But I think Dylan Walsh sucks as a stepfather. 
Uh, she is real, real sad and mopey. Huh? That's kind of her thing. But yet she's still real likable. Yeah. Even though she's, even though she's a little bit of a brat. But yeah, she does get into huh. that fight, which surprised me because I didn't. Ex- okay, moving on. Yeah. So after this, she does the curse too. I want to say rich girl cutting class, Phantom of the Opera with uh, Robert England, rich girl. Mm-hmm. I want to say There Goes My Baby, P. Schroeder and Dylan Dermot Mulroney. And then um, basically this is the last of her leading roles, and it's Popcorn, which I believe is her best movie. You and I watched this a ton yes, when we were kids. This we is one did. of the very first horror movies we are ever allowed to watch, and it was on TV. That's why we were allowed to watch it, because they edited out all the stuff. And... <laughs> Of course, both of us went a very long time. I remember. Um, and then when Synapse put it out on Blu-ray recently, I picked it up. I, I fell in love with it all over again. You didn't have Well, I think that it was highly influenced by the very, very, very poor quality version I watched on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sorry. But uh, I, I, I'm telling you right now, the Blu-ray is exquisite. Um, and there's tons and tons of special features in document uh, how they made it and how it fell apart temporarily um Mm -hmm. this was originally directed and starring somebody completely different and they had to stop production after two because they were falling very far behind they're running out of money and uh so i don't know the name of the girl but she's the one who starred in honey i shrunk the kids she she actually she's the only girl um and it was directed by alan ormsby who did all the short black and white films in the movie so all of those are his and then uh, when they fell behind, they got a different director, and he finished it up as quick as possible. And Joel Sholin, you know, and just picked up the pace so they could finish it on time. And you can see that there's some budget cuts here and there because it's clearly shot in Jamaica. <laughs> it's so obviously <laughs> shot in Jamaica. <laughs> they had to fly in uh, Caucasians <laughs> to make it look like it was in, I think, California. I was like, I was like, why is this reggae here? I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was just an empty theater that they got for almost nothing they could rent. And they had all these tax credits for shooting. But what they didn't realize is no one bothered to actually look in the theater first. And it was a hideous mess filled with ugh. And they had to clean it out and scrape it up. But it's a fun set. There's a lot of things that you could do with this. And it's it's very similar in a way to matinee. It's like a flip side, same course. Yeah. I'll say Matt needs yeah, better, I, but <laughs> I'm gonna I, yeah I'm gonna say I'm glad we didn't together because it doesn't have the same feel. No, um, at all. I mean y- yes, this is a horror comedy. Here's the thing that, and you can feel uh, there's two slightly different tones because I feel like the stuff with the beginning of it with you know the 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 short film and the stuff with, that seems so much darker than a lot of the stuff with the kids where they're kind of having fun there's some stuff like that so i feel like some of that must have been directed by the previous guy um but what this does have a fun capable cast and, and kelly joe minter who never gets when it comes to 80s films like an mvp uh-huh. Isn't she the girl from, like, Summer School? Yes. So, Summer School, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, this, and I feel like there's a couple others. People Under the Stairs. I just thought for a while oh, there, yeah. she was, like, a go-to really cool actress. Funny as hell and got a lot of uh, assassinate. Um, But I think the showstopper is Tom Phil as uh, sadly passed away. Uh, I, I think what he does, especially under all that makeup, is a hell. Yeah, he's super interesting, too, because... Um, you know, I mostly remember him 
from One Crazy Summer. And was he also in summer school or no? No, uh, not summer school. Okay. There's something else in that we watched the in, but it was mostly One Crazy Summer. And yeah. uh, obviously he's older than the rest of the cast, but with film school, you know, college these days is different. But it seemed kind of odd at the time because everybody he looks my, about. My husband's in college right now and he's five years old. Yeah, so. but it was so, I think in our heads it was different. Back go to yes. Like it was shameful. 20 well, it was different. And now yeah. it's, it's like anybody does whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have uh, a brief appearance by he played. You can do it. My I, 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 Ray Walston. Thank you. Good lord. I wanted to say well, in my head. I look. I like Ray Walston, but I kept seeing Roddy McDowell. It's it's a shock yes. to me they didn't cast Roddy McDowell. I was like, yeah, it's perfect. yeah. No, I to I totally get that. Yeah, and uh, um, you know, there's little appearance like I think D. Wallstone was only in it for like Chase. They, they they cut the budget by having names you recognize, but they're not in yeah. the film a lot. But most of it is just those kids, and I think they're all very fun and interesting characters, and they work well off other. And I think the special effects sequences are a lot. The, the two complaints I have for them are um, one, the mosquito death should not have been done twice. I feel like that was unique enough that they shouldn't have done it. It's, it's in the death of their teacher, and then at the very end, like, no, you should have come up with something different. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't understand the moment where D. Wallace goes to the theater. And yes. the letters shoot off, and all of a sudden she's the word possessor. Now, I don't recall him having that kind of power. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some of it was a little strange. Yeah, so that's why it feels like it was directed by somebody else, and they just course corrected and just forgot that, you know, to fix that part of kinetic or deep brainwasher. Because they make it clear that she was not part of the cult. That, yes. that she's the one who was clear-minded uh, clear and she got her her niece out of it. So she was never brainwashed. Because if she had been, then I can see maybe those powers too. Um, now, mind you, the guy, the leader of the cult is not Toby. And for some reason, I read a review where they got confused. And kind of see if you're not paying close enough attention. He's not, uh, he was just a follower of him. He was devoted to the cult and got horribly burned in uh, performance. He was also a child. Yes, yes. I don't know. I got nothing really else to say, but I just I think his performance is fantastic. The fact that he has to enunciate so hard under very interesting look because it has a mild Freddy Krueger feel to it because he has all those one high energy. Still makes it. Yeah, it's sort of like a Freddy Krueger, but also like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Uh, I believe. Kind of thing. I believe it was called Phantom of the Cinema first, and then changed the. Yeah, it's. I mean, like, what a weird plot, though. Like. Like, I mean, what the way it, it plays out and like all the information that she eventually gets is just like so not what you expect when you're watching like light, seemingly light, fluffy popcorn heart horror film, you know? Yeah. I mean, and then you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, wait, what? Like, this is, <laughs> well, what? It's, in a, unlike, I mean, this is the end of the slasher. This is really the end. There's, there's only a couple after this where it's no longer CGI kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. This is just a plain old guy. He has no superpowers, but he has an incredible talent for makeup. And this is kind of a good swan song, that which is like five years of scream. Um, but I feel like there's a little bit of meta to this as well, where they're trying to comment yeah. on the slasher and, and just horror movies. Yeah, uh... That's too smart for me right now, but <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't really feel like generally these two movies that we watched were, they're not great, but they're enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, nor are they, you know, uh, have the depth at which many of the films we watch have. Yeah, well, it's so, a little harder with horror, uh, and I know some horror be mad at us, but the genre can tend to be by lazy, especially... 
I think post because they like that for so long because we we discussed I know, and the sequel and they're entertaining but they're not good same thing with Urban Legend they're not yeah but isn't I mean so it, it, that's okay like not everything has to quote unquote like good you can enjoy whatever you want like I like highbrow stuff I like shit a lot more. <laughs> I mean, we do I love like Bob the Butler. <laughs> every I love Bob the Butler. Okay, and like that's probably the dumbest shit that exists. I don't care. Like, I, uh, judge me all you want to horror lovers that are listening to this. Uh, but like, just like what you like. You yeah. Don't judge people. Like, I, have, just, I have one rule. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I have one rule. I just, I just want because I'm trying to watch Dune right now, and I am not entertained. I'm like, boy, this is stiff. I don't care about any of this. <laughs> I just don't. I, I, I can't comment on that. Um, so that is it for the scary movies. Uh, we're going to be going and mixing it up again. We kind of saved most of the scary movies. Um, I don't know what we'll do next. Uh, I'm kind of running my computer because of the internet. But uh, I'll come. I tried to watch Solar Babies and no. There's no. <laughs> Not happening. I could have told you that. No. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> the whole time I'm watching it. Because <laughs> it's produced by Mel Brooks. <laughs> and I just imagine him playing one of his characters trying to tell the executives at MGM what he was making. They're babies, but they're shorter. They're shorter babies. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know wow. Why. I fucking just couldn't stop saying it. Like, cracking up. That's. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Cast. That's how Wow. <laughs> I know. This is a terrible way to end the episode. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>